Southern Skies. Online Media. And welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 53 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia Pacific point of view. While I'm sitting here in a studio surrounded by water here in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, Australia, I'm Steve Vischer. Joining me on the line is Grant McHeron. Grant, uh, how's the water level looking over there? What water level? Ah, there's a few puddles in the street, otherwise, it's all okay. I've got my car back, it's working again after it tried to be a submarine the other day. Yeah, I'll tell you what, we've had another downpour here in Melbourne tonight as we record this, and several areas around where I live are looking rather beach like once again. And uh, Grant, you live much closer to the beach than I do, so it could be a bit of a worry. Oh, no, I'm okay. There's a few hills in the way, so I'm fine. It's the poor folks down in St Kilda right on the bay who flooded last time. We just had water up to your knees in various places. Oh, and then there was a couple of spots where it went up to your chest. But that was a bit of a dip. Well, somebody who probably hasn't had any of these troubles, seeing as he lives in another part of the country, is Baz Sheffers. G'day, Baz. G'day, how are you? How's, how's the weather looking over there? Is it flooding over there in South Australia? Uh, it was for about half an hour last uh, Thursday in my backyard, but you know, that was about it. It was a bad hit. <laughs> yeah. It's always oh, a little hotter over there. We kind of watch, uh, for those of us who don't live in this country, We here in Melbourne, we, we sort of keep an eye on Adelaide weather just to see um, what we're going to get the next day, generally. Yeah, I, I wish that the Bureau of Meteorology would schedule the weather a bit more fairly around the country. Yeah, could we have absolutely no rain, no clear blue skies and very little wind down here in Melbourne um, in the mornings so we can fly our balloons more? Yep. We've missed a whole lot of flights in the last three or four months, thanks to La Nina. Well, anyway, this is not a weather podcast, so we won't talk too really? much on the weather. But uh, coming up in this episode, of course, uh, Bez is going to update us on a few things to do with RAOs, uh, maybe some uh, some updates on his recent discussion with uh, Bill Hamilton uh, regarding the uh, the ADSB uh, upgrades that are being forced upon GA in this country coming up very soon. And we're also going to have a talk about some iPhone apps as well. Also, Dan Morris is going to join us from uh, across the ditch there in New Zealand. He's going to uh, give us a report on all things Kiwi that have been happening over there lately. And also, James Williams from the Lifestyle Pod Network is going to drop in a bit later on to give us a uh, trip report on a recent A380 ride that he's done. Jealous? I know I am. Cool. And we'll probably do some listener mail and some shout outs as well. So, gentlemen, let's kick it off. Okay, Baz. Well, um, let's first recap on the ADSB discussion. Now, um, we've had some pretty highly downloaded episodes of our podcast lately, but uh, they've all been eclipsed by the uh, the discussion you had with Bill Hamilton about uh, four or five episodes back about the uh, changes and, uh, I guess, compulsory uh, uptake of ADSB in this country for the GA fleet. Um, how's that discussion been going from your end? Uh, well, of course, the uh, discussion paper deadline has now uh, been and gone, even after it was uh, extended, because uh, CASA just lost all the electronic submissions. Yeah, uh, so I've read that. That was just convenient, unbelievable. It? Yeah, very convenient. So they asked everyone to email it in again or uh, mail it in again in the post. But uh, you know, the discussion has been, been going on and uh, some of the organizations have also uh, published their responses like AOPA and RAOs. And so 
looking at those for for a second, I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, I wish, especially Arioles, to you know take a much harder line against it uh, and possibly much better word than they have. AOPA was was very thorough, but uh, kind of taking the route of okay, we know this is going to happen, and we're going to uh, try and make the best outcome uh, out of it for our members. Um, but they do have they do have a good few good points in there. You know, if it, if it's going to happen, that uh, hopefully those those points will be taken aboard by CASA. And, and if things won't turn out quite as bad and expensive and uh, requiring ADS-B in everywhere uh, for new aircraft, that sort of thing. Because uh, one of the things that they say, they, they oppose any new transponder requirements in Class G airspace. And that is directly aimed at the, the rule in the proposal that said, you know, from December 2013, any newly registered aircraft needs to have a MODES transponder installed, even if you want to fly your home build around your own paddock, which is just complete nonsense. So that that's yeah. a good one for AOPA. Uh, another one uh, which I really support is the fact of saying, look, for VFR aircraft that aren't using the GPS to navigate, why do we need an expensive TSO uh, C145 and 46 uh, GPS unit built in? Can't we just use a, uh, a cheaper one? So if they're allowed to use the existing Garmin units like the 295, 296 that a lot of people have in their aircraft but are not TSO and they can never be TSO because they are actual uh, classified as handheld units which just sit in a cradle in the aircraft. If people are allowed to use those, uh, you know, we save you thousands on getting a, a separate uh, TSO unit. And let's, let's face it, these things are accurate. The odds of a GPS malfunction putting people, uh, you know, on, in the wrong place on a screen in another aircraft, uh, while at the same time there being an actual conflict, is just, you know, just astronomically small. It's so there's no point in requiring a really expensive TSO unit, which doesn't even really guarantee that it's that much more reliable liable to be honest well not with the problems we're having with the constellations at the moment and the fact that people are able to get uh, rather inexpensive jammers now uh yeah there exactly. are a number of truckers out there in um in various parts of the world driving along who don't like being tracked by gps so they buy a, a uh, one of these jammers stick it on their rig drive it around the problem is it does more than just the rig it actually uh, winds up blanking out gps reception for large areas around them yep here you are trying to do a precision approach with a gps based system and a truck goes past on the freeway and boom yeah, there was a bit of the conspiracy between the triple seven uh, crash at uh, at Heathrow that uh, the prime minister's car driving by with all its jamming <laughs> equipment on. Oh, uh, I love a good conspiracy you know, that scenario. Theory like that. Might become real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, love a good conspiracy go, theory. Yeah, it could go from crackpot kook to oops, that's real. Uh, there's some good news on the equipment front because there are indeed a lot of manufacturers that are now talking about uh, you know, going through certification or having gone through certification with standalone TSO GPSs that they say will have a street price of about a grand. There's ADSB capable modest transponders for about 2,500 bucks. But so for GA aircraft in a couple of years, you know, I, I don't really think that we're going to be looking at the, the 25 grand, 30 grand installation costs, especially for the uh, RA guys that can uh, do mo- a lot of the modifications themselves and uh, need, just need to have them signed off. Yeah, well, that's, but, that's, that, that's the point, isn't it? I mean, as this technology becomes uh, more and more widespread, and particularly with the uh, the big push in the US, even though I understand that our system is perhaps not going to be exactly the same, the, you know, that technology, like all technology, will eventually come down in price somewhat. Oh, of course. But still, you know, if you're just looking at purely equipment costs about, you know, 2500 for the Modest transponder, a grand for the TSO GPS uh, wiring, 
running antennas, uh, having it installed. Um, best case scenario, you're looking at probably five, six, seven grand. And that's if you don't have any complications installing. Uh, that's if you uh, don't you know, have a one-off aircraft that there's no STCs available for. Um, so you need to go through the whole uh, CAR 35 um, organization to have it, the engineering orders done and all the uh, it all signed off. Yeah, those those costs aren't just going to go away. Casa is talking now, but yeah, we looking at a way so that people don't have to go through that car thirty five system. But let's face it, that's just talk. It, it it's yeah. it says now black and white in the law. That's what you have to do. So unless they come up with a new proposal that uh, makes that possible, I don't see it happening anytime soon. So still, the best hope is that. You know, we're not going to get mandated, this mandated anytime soon. Sorry. Just remember the famous phrase, you know, hey, we're the government, trust us, don't worry. It may read that way, but that's not how we'll interpret it for now. Yeah. So basically to sum up, not that much has happened other than the official responses from some of the organizations like AOPA and RAOs. And we basically have to see where it goes because the next thing that CASA should come out with, which will probably take quite a while, is the notice for proposed rulemaking. And then we'll see which way they really want to go and what they've taken on board from the reactions from people. Seems like um, just flicking through the forums here and looking through some of the feedback we got from that episode, and most people seem to be on the same page as as Bill Hamilton. A couple of people um, had some uh, perhaps contrary views or perhaps were uh, interpreting what he was saying in perhaps a way he didn't intend it. But, uh, you know, I think for the most part, the feedback seems fairly unanimous that uh, most people think it's probably overkill and, and not necessary. But then again, uh, like you say, Baz, uh, it's going to happen whether people like it or not. So now it's a matter of uh, finding the most efficient way to implement it. Exactly. And, you know, I'm very much uh, like Bill that I'm uh, like, he, you know, he's not against ADSB. He's just against the technology and, and the path that's been chosen by Australia. And, you know, as a computer guy and uh, who knows also enough about electronics to be dangerous, there's much cheaper ways to get reliable equipment and reliable data connections than what's being proposed now. And, it's, you know, that's a real shame that we're going to be doing this with 1970s technology. That's definitely a major factor in it. The you know, by the time they get around to implementing it and it's really good, it's it's gone. It's like the camera that you always lusted after is now obsolete. You've only had it for two weeks. Yep. The joys of technology. But, uh, mate, one thing here, this does give us a bit of a segue. You, you mentioned that you're into IT and a bit of a geek and things like that, a bit of a computer guy. And um, I understand you've been writing some software for uh, portable devices. Yes, I have. Uh, I've been doing that for quite a while, but the big one is that we introduced in uh, mid-December to the world or at least Australia, which is an application called Oz Runways. Okay, great. Now, before he goes any further, in case you start the meter running, Grant, this could be an advertorial. <laughs> uh, hey, well, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I think I may just tune out because it's all about the iPhone. It's not about Android. Oh, oh no, we're going to talk about Android we're gonna in a get minute. To that. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. I'll, hang, I'll hold on with bated breath. No, we, yeah. don't, we don't mind a bit of full disclosure because uh, behind Baz's back and without telling him, I actually got a very good friend of mine who's a uh, commercial pilot and instructor to download a copy and do an evaluation for me and... Um, He's by and large very happy with it, so uh, you know we're, we're happy to uh, talk about it here on the show. And given that Baz is a uh, you know an occasional co-host, there's no problem with that. Uh, I hope not. I'm all for it, just as so long as it comes out in Android. Yep, there you go. Yep. Up front, honest. 
Good. <laughs> well, of course, uh, there's plenty of apps around there. I mean, there's a good one for Napes as well. But uh, let's let's have a chat about Oz Runways, uh, Baz, and, and tell us um, in Indeed. simple terms what it does. Well, go back to Napes just a little bit while I'm uh, introducing this, because the the guy who developed Napes is uh, Rowan Wilson, and now both Rowan and I uh, were working to get working on what Oz Runways does at the same time when we found out about this. So we got oh. in touch and we said, "Hey, well, why don't we work on this together?" Just before we go, screw down that path though for a large number of people who are listening to this from outside Australia they won't may, or may not know what NAPES is uh, well there's that's the National Aeronautical Information Processing System or, well there's or, a mouthful well another fancy way of saying Australia's online uh, briefing service for pilots oh, and also, also available via fax and uh, voice call in over the phone and radio and in fact they were, uh, teamed up with Telstra to provide various pilot calling cards that you would just recharge that would allow you to get straight through into NAPES from anywhere in the country and submit your flight plans. Yeah, so that's NAPES. So uh, what about the apps uh, that are around for that, Bez? So, yeah, Rowan developed NAPES uh, for iPhone uh, a while ago and, and started selling that, and it's it's been very popular uh, with, with pilots in Australia because it allows you to just get a weather briefi- briefing and, and file flight plans uh, anywhere, anytime. You've got uh, internet coverage with your... Uh, mobile which is in you know is in a lot of places especially if you're flying at 3000 feet or above so yeah we uh, he created that and we were working on uh, what Oz runways uh, what became Oz runways separately at the same time and decided to team up and the funny thing was that when we started talking and uh, you know a bit about each other and I saw this photo of him in this yellow RV and I said didn't I land right behind you at the uh, Jamestown Air Show last year. <laughs> and indeed I did. So we had met before. And he's, he's from Adelaide as well. He uh, flies uh, Orions for the RAF. Oh, and cool. um, yeah, so we've got uh, the professional pilot and uh, amateur programmer combined with the professional programmer and the amateur pilot. So make a, make a perfect team. <laughs> Hang on a minute. He's, he's, <laughs> a, he's a serving RAF pilot, did I hear you say? He is, yeah. He well, is, hasn't got any current. time to be writing apps. Um, That's well, very impressive. Yeah, no, actually they, they get a fair bit. Uh, they get a fair bit of time off after deployments as well. Uh, he doesn't have any kids yet, so that gives him a bit oh, of time. Oh, there you go. Yeah, but it, it's very much with him that at some point he gets a lot of time to just do a lot of work, and then for months he can do hardly do anything because he's on deployment working all the time. Um, and you know that just works works great. You know, for working together because uh, we can usually cover for each other. And uh, at the moment I'm going through a very busy period. Well, he just went through one not so busy, so he's been doing more work on it than I, than I have. But yeah, that became Oz Runways, and Oz Runways is really. Uh, the information application with all the uh, the URSA, which is the Onroute Supplement Australia, which is uh, basically all the airfield information for the uh, uh, about seven eight hundred aerodromes around Australia. Yeah, and all, the phone, all the phone numbers, frequencies, uh, taxi diagrams, yeah, uh, rules. Diagrams. A circuit exactly. of information, the works, anything you need to know about that, even the phone number and or frequency to call up for fuel, whether it's uh, pay it yourself or with a credit card or however you wind up doing it, it's all in that. And yep. that's uh, something that you have document. to, that's great. And it's also it's just, a legal requirement to carry it. Yep. The only problem is it comes out, how many times a year do they do an update? Is it only twice or is it four times? No, four times. That's what it's I thought. Four it's four times, times a year, a year yeah, and you got to you pay for it every time. Uh, yes. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. The other thing it does is uh, all the approach plates for Australia, provided by Air Services Australia, uh, which um, is about, well, there's about 1,600 in there. Uh, there's a fair few approaches. Unfortunately, not of them, uh, not a lot of them are precision approaches in Australia, in case anyone uh, is wondering. And it's just a very, you know, handy 
application. It, it just has everything in one place in your iPad, much easier to browse than the paper versions. It updates itself. Uh, you've always got the latest versions in there. And you've just been proven to be very useful because uh, we've got a fair few people that have uh, trialed it and uh, decided to purchase a subscription. And all the, the information in there is actually licensed from Air Services. So we have an agreement with them that we can redistribute their data. So, uh, you know, unlike some competitors, we, um, we're, not going, we're, we're not going anywhere. And because uh, originally, to be honest, my, my thought was, well, it's, it's free on the web anyway. So all I'm just providing is a nicer way to, to view it. But someone who went before uh, got into a fair bit of trouble. And especially working with Rowan, who already had an agreement with them in place for NAPES. You know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a big problem to get the uh, the agreement for this in place and make keep it all uh, all legal and uh, safe from uh, from lawsuits and that sort of thing. And the, to be honest, the the licensing fees are actually you know quite reasonable. Uh, we yeah. find so there's uh, depending on how much we end up selling, you know, there's uh, there's definitely uh, it's definitely worth our while, even so it though is, it is, is a small market. And it's but it is based on um, a, a a percentage or a cut of the sale price, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. We we pay so some upfront. Uh, this is actually in the. Uh, they've actually put it on their website now. I think we we're we we're a bit of a catalyst for that because for a long time it said you know licensing uh, arrangements are under review and will update it at some point. And when we started talking, they they really you know got it updated and uh, it's all on the web now. So yeah, you pay uh, upfront just for a, a license fee to get access to the data that's basically for their work in getting all the files ready and, and that sort of thing. And then we we pay a cut of uh, revenue based on how much of the app really depends on their, and like I said, it, it's all quite reasonable. So we're happy to do it and get make sure yeah. we've always got the latest updates and uh, we're not going anywhere. Now cool. You mentioned the iPad, Baz, and of course that's, that's you know, it's interesting. As soon as the iPad came on the market, there was uh, a lot of speculation around on, on many of the aviation podcasts we listened to about, uh, you know, how that would become uh, or how it could be adapted to be some sort of an electronic flight bag but uh, interestingly enough I heard recently about some kneeboards that are being developed to fit the iPad on so it's, uh, it's oh, yes. certainly the way it's going. Oh yeah I've, I've got one here uh, I use it it's fantastic. Uh, we're actually developing one of our own together with a partner in the US that we're gonna we're gonna sell here because yeah there's a there's a lot of them available uh, all different shapes and sizes um, and they're very useful because you just instead of having your normal uh, kneeboard uh, with your piece of paper on it you now have your iPad on there and especially in the US this has really taken off of what you were just you know referring to uh, where most of those podcasts are based because the FAA has actually already ruled that for uh, private operations you can just use it it's fine uh, yep. there's no uh, permission specifically needed for it just do it it's uh, no, it's your call yeah um, it's it's counted as an electronic flight bag so yep. the information is there it doesn't say you have to have paper information just the information has to be there there was it was uh, Robert Sigliano and the new pilot pod blog was uh, getting a few of the gang together to have a chat about how they're using the uh, iPad yeah and a lot so of them had the iPad and iPhone yeah well of course Oz Runways works on both it's it's much easier to use on the iPad because you know just the bigger screen you can actually have it on your knee and and read an approach plate uh, quite easily. So we're currently talking with CASA and trying to uh, 
clear up what the situation is is here. It's looking good. I'm not really going to say make any statements about it yet. And you know, if you look at the app, it now says still not for navigational purposes. That's something that uh, Air Services want us to put in there. Uh, that's in our contract with them. But you know, in the contracts also that if CASA allows it, then with some provisions, uh, we might be able to take that away. Um, so it's basically the Air Services nor us make the rules. CASA does. So we're trying to get that uh, clarified what the deal is uh, but you know we're hopeful at the moment at the end of the day if you look at the AIP it says that the, the required carriage of documents uh, says that it has to come from air services or another uh, or published by air services or another approved provider and just because it's coming through the iPad uh, doesn't mean that this data is not the data published by air services uh, nowhere does it say that it actually has to be on paper so there's a, there's a lot of uh, of room there to allow it and, and CASA has some legislation on electronic flight bags including these portable ones. The main thing we want to clarify is that if people use this as their only source for URSA and they get ramp checked by a CASA officer, will we pass a ramp check or will we be told no, 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 you haven't got the right stuff with you and that's really what it all comes down to. Well, one potential issue, I guess, Baz, would be if you're going on a long flight, um, what sort of battery life do you get out of an iPad? And uh, I guess that's a factor they'd have to consider. I mean, if if you're going to be away for several days, um, are you still going to have to carry some sort of paper document as a backup? Well, luckily, most aircraft do have a 12-volt socket in there. So you can always uh, charge it in flight that way as well. On its own, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of time, a battery time. Uh, you probably wouldn't be having it on all the time unless you may be displaying a moving map on there or, or something. So running out of batteries is not really my, my main worry. And you know, once my my iPad runs out of uh, batteries, I just take my iPhone out of my pocket and continue on that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> nice uh, there's actually a, a really good bit of news that just came in this week. And there's actually a commercial operator in the US who, uh, so not just running private flights, but actually running a uh, charter operation. Uh, actually, they're a business jet, uh, executive jet management, which is a charter operator. And they've received authorization from the FAA to use the Jeppesen mobile chart for the iPad as uh, an alternative to paper charts without requiring paper charts to be available. And they've That's actually nice. done, yeah, and they've actually done a lot of research, uh, including things like a uh, decompression test to uh, 51,000 feet and uh, uh, interference testing and everything. So, uh, and they got that authorization. It's not an authorization for everyone to do that in the US yet. So it's just something that I guess goes with their uh, uh, operations manual, uh, and they're allowed to do it. But it, it opens the it opens the way for probably someone like Jeppesen themselves to get just a blanket authorization for people to use the iPad with their app and uh, hopefully we can get to uh, a situation here as well you know and if at least we can get it for the private GA flights you know that'd be fantastic it's interesting you mentioned the jet charts too because you know it's, for some people it's a bit of a religious thing isn't it some people are, are uh, sort of rusted on to uh, jet charts and other people use the, the more traditional government publications but uh, I assume most of the apps around would, would show the normal I guess normal I'd say normal because that's what I use uh, or yeah. I, I put it the other way around I guess most applications wouldn't show jet charts it's very much uh, what I understand because obviously I'm not a commercial pilot uh, let alone uh, work for a major airline uh, it's very much depends on the airline what choice they have made especially a lot of the international airlines you know why would you get one set of maps from one provider and, and one set from the other so they just have 
they just have Jefferson. And even if they're only operating in Australia, well, the guy who, you know, who's in charge used to work at a major international airline and wasn't, didn't even give it a moment's thoughts. It's, it's Jefferson. Yeah. Um, I however, ask- I think the, the, the majority of uh, GA pilots, you know, small commercial operators and private pilots in Australia will be using the Air Services Australia charts. And that's really, well, that's really what our market is. Uh, at the moment. I want to talk about Android in a minute, but uh, just for you, we're just talking about CASA there, mate, and getting it certified. When you approached them to do this, uh, were they receptive to the idea, cautious? Oh, yes. No, they were very receptive. They actually have a, a working group or whatever it's called on at the moment uh, or, or almost perpetually about the situation with electronic flight bags. Um, so they, they were, we, we needed to dig around a little who, who best to talk to and we're still being sent around a bit. Uh, but uh, they're definitely receptive to it. It's not like, no, you can't do it, go away. So they are looking forward to it as well. I think they understand that this is something that people want and that uh, is unlikely to be a safety issue. Now you're doing the ERSA and you're doing the um, all, all the various other aspects of the air services information. What about the AIP and things like that? Is, yeah, the, the AIP is already in there. So you've okay. got a, a searchable and bookmarkable uh, electronic uh, AIP, which is, you know, it's, it's the Bible, especially for com- commercial students. Well, as, uh, actually, as we're recording this and um, discussing and listening, I'm doing my AIP updates. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fun, isn't it? Oh, paper, paper, we love you. Yeah, I've heard another few people complain about this. I think it's uh, it's pretty bad this time around because they made some changes to yeah, really it, just format changes rather than actual information changes. Yeah, it's a thick one. It's um, yeah, an easy centimeter thick paperwork. So for people who don't, who don't know, the AIP is basically the rule book and it comes in a, a binder and whenever an update comes out, you get a, a, a set of pages that are updated and you have to leaf through it, open the binder, get the old page out, put the new one in and go on to the next. It's the Australian so, version for our American listeners of the Far Aim. Yeah. It's the Aeronautical Information Pack and even Balloonatics. Well, those of us who are going eventually to get our commercial balloon uh, wind up having it. So go figure. Yeah. And it's expensive. I mean, uh, our, yes. our subscriptions, you know, uh, our subscription to URSA for a year, you get all the updates for a year, is the same or less than, you know, buying one copy. So the savings are, are definitely to be had there. We're just at the moment, we're working on clarifying uh, the legalities of it. But, you know, let's, let's be realistic. There's a lot of private pilots, and I don't condone this, uh, endorse this at all, but you know, they might buy one URSA a year, and the rest of the year they fly with an outdated URSA. And uh, <clears> it's actually, yes. you know, it's, it's uh, everyone knows this is going on, especially, you know, at the uncontrolled airfields where no one's afraid of being being ramp checked or a CFI from some school looking over your shoulder. So people do it. And, you know, this way, at least uh, they'll, they'll, pay it once and it'll always have it up to date. So yeah, you were talking about Android. Uh, yeah, we have to talk about that because, uh, yeah. you know, Grant's running a Galaxy S and I'm running a Galaxy Tab, so we are always yeah. uh, very keen. Of course, the, the Galaxy Tab is a, a bit smaller than the iPad, but uh, still I think uh, it's it's rather approach plate sized actually. Yeah, it's good. I mean, they're, they're good devices. It's, uh, at the moment, like you, like I said, it's a, it's, it's a small market and Android at the moment is even smaller and I think that in the not too distant future, I wouldn't be surprised if numbers of adoption uh, of iPhone or iOS devices, whether it's the phone or the pad and an Android device, is going to be that far apart. It'll probably become very similar. So it's uh, something that we're, we're very much looking at. We've actually got a developer, an Android developer, who is uh, uh, who wants to work with us on doing this, except that you know it's we're, it, it hasn't got a real high priority at the moment for him because of the you know the, the low uptake situation uh, of, of Android still. But we definitely want to be on there. As you and I were discussing before we started recording, 
recording that um, it's it's no small thing. It's a, it's, it's a major recode, I guess, or a whole, it a whole, is, a whole it separate is Basically, we know how to do the app. We know what needs to go in it. We've got the database and that sort of stuff. However, the, the whole app itself uh, needs to be reprogrammed, uh, recoded in a different language with different tools. And uh, so, yeah, we, we can reuse basically our knowledge of how we want the app to work, and that's about it. Cool, mate. And uh, for the listeners who are interested, um, we hope we can uh, get a few that uh, might like to purchase it from you. How much is it and where would they find it? Uh, so you can find the, the name is Oz Runways, OZ Runways, and you can find it in the App Store. Uh, you get a 30-day trial with all the, the data there, so you can really make up your mind whether you want to subscribe to it or not. Uh, and then we've got basically got a sliding scale. You, you got, uh, if you just want Ursa, which would be a lot of the uh, recreational pilots, uh, 25 bucks. Uh, the next one for a year. Uh, and that means the, the app from the moment your subscription starts. So at the end of your trial, when you pay for it, you got a year uh, and you, you just get all the updates. Uh, and after a year, you know, it stops working unless you, you know, re, uh, uh, pay for the for the next year. And the same goes for the approach plates, the DAP and uh, AIP. Uh, which is uh, actually if you uh, what we do is if you pay 25 bucks for Ursa or you can pay 25 bucks for just AIP or the approach plates but if you pay 50 bucks you get all three uh, so that's our pricing at the moment and um, that uh, that should should stay that way we're, we're looking at the at the moment uh, changing the way we do the subscriptions because Apple's just released a new subscription model that they want people to use in the apps and we're gonna have to go with that so we're gonna have to do some recoding but uh, it'll, it'll just make it easier to buy subscriptions for the, the users and um, yeah well simplicity yeah, plus, simplicity is what it's all about isn't it but uh, I guess uh, most people are you know, I mean, we know from our stats, most people access this podcast, probably 90% of them through iTunes. So yeah. um, it won't be unfamiliar to most of our listeners for sure. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so that's uh, that's basically where we're going. And hopefully uh, we will get uh, an out- update out soon, which has some some good new features and some bug fixes and the new subscription model. And the uh, next thing we'll be working on is actual maps, all the aviation maps. So you can uh, you can plan your flight in there, uh, have a look at the airspace. Um, and that's uh, that's next up. We're, we're working away on that. Fantastic, mate. Well, we might leave that one there. Now, just looking down the list here of stuff, uh, we were going to talk about TV shows. We might give that a miss because we know how much Grant loves ice pilots. Oh, come <laughs> on. You're not going to let me... Nah. Mate, I, okay, I'll say it. I love the aircraft. I love the cockpit views. I love the snow, the wilderness. It's amazing. It's just the show sucks. <laughs> it's terrible. It really it bugs me. I, I just want to reach in and smack them senseless. The, and, and the whole build up the end, oh, come back later and see this. Oh, yeah, that really annoys me as well in the, that uh-huh. editing uh, yeah, it's, style it's, it's, that they it's, do. It's, it's really mainstream. It's like, yeah, we knew what happened, you know, two minutes ago yeah. before you went to commercials, which, of course, we don't see. But that's uh, a whole different uh, subject. I think, I think the mistake uh, that both you guys are making in your uh, your watching of this show is it's not made for pilots. It's made for people who are not. Yes, yeah. but even for people who are not. I mean, my mother is, okay, she is, a, she is involved in an aviation family, I know, but she's sitting there watching it going, this is terrible. <laughs> and even without my dad and Nikolai, 13 years old, he was 12 at the time, he's going, oh, this sucks. <laughs> you know, we, we were all saying we love the aircraft, we love the cockpit stuff. They should just focus on the story, tell the people what's going on, stop building up the hype, to put it very bluntly, and just stop making out that it's all this stuff. Oh, it was just terrible. Did I mention uh, we weren't going to talk about TV shows? You know? Yeah, I know you did, and I'm sorry. We've sidetracked back into it. But I'm sorry, guys, and I'm sorry if this destroys any chance of me getting a lineys if I ever get to Oshkosh. But uh, I, you know, great aircraft, a lousy show. 
Well, that's still, all I can might, say about it. They might try and make you drink Fosters. Anyway, oh, uh, hey. Wasn't <laughs> well, being that nasty. Well, let's talk about some other shows. Let's talk about air shows. Now, we know Avalon's coming up shortly. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, uh, Basil, more locally for you, the Parafield uh, air show, looks like those dates have been changed for the next one. Yeah, it has. It had to postpone a little bit. It's in, for a few reasons. I've got the email from uh, one of the organisers, and uh, it says, uh, in, in part... Uh, because of the response of the uh, Australian Defence Forces and their level of participation. So basically that means uh, if we push it back a bit, they'll probably show up with more stuff, uh, which would be good. Very handy. Yep. And also a bit about concern about the weather in late October. And that's a very valid concern because I've I've had uh, fly-ins cancelled that time of year because uh, Friday it was great, Monday it was great, uh, Saturday and Sunday not so much. So uh, actually, and I mean not so much, I mean IFR days. So um, yeah, they're going to delay it now until the 25th of March. 2012. 2012. Okay. That's a long gap. Unfortunate, really. Yeah, it's basically a year away from now, a year uh, and, uh, and a month. It's a shame, but March is a good time to have this kind of thing because there's a good chance we'll have some great weather. And yeah. uh, if they can get more uh, well, RAF uh, yeah. planes in, that'd be fantastic. Well, look, yeah, if it's any consolation, the word that I'm hearing was mentioned in the newspapers as well was that uh, due to budget constraints and uh, various other issues, the RAAF aren't even going to be able to put a Super Hornet demo on at the uh, Grand Prix in Albert Park coming up in March. Now, whether that's because they will have blown their budget doing it all at Avalon Airshow, I'm not sure, but... Uh, they are cutting back and apparently uh, they've told the Grand Prix Corporation no roulettes, no F-18s, nothing like that, but you can have the RAAF balloon. <laughs> well, we know that'll uh, make you happy, Grant, at least. Well, you know, yeah, it's a balloon. It's great. I love it. Um, so Is it the one actually, they used to fly over the trenches in World War One so they could spy on the enemy? <laughs> That's the army. Um, <laughs> Barrage balloon. Yeah, well, uh, I can assure you that uh, there was probably screaming heard all around the world when the Grand Prix Corporation here and globally found out about that. Um, they're kind of not keen on balloons at the moment. You know what? Vehicles that go that fast aren't supposed to stay on the ground anyway. They should all be airplanes. Absolutely. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice. Well, nice. speaking of airplanes, Avalon coming up very, very shortly. Um, yeah. We'd be interested to know from our listeners who's going. We've heard from our, our friend Ed Stubbs during the week. Uh, we know he's coming across from Perth. Um, we'd certainly like to hear from our listeners. Uh, we're going to do a few meetups there, so uh, yeah, we'd really be interested to come. Uh, Baz, are you going to be able to find your way across? Probably not, to be honest, uh, this year, uh, unfortunately. I've got uh, a lot of stuff on, a lot of other things I'm going to spend time and money on going to, so uh, I'm going to have to give Avalon a miss, uh, unfortunately. Uh, well, Dang. It's, it's a shame, mate, because... Um, yeah. yeah, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, come on. Hop yeah, in the well, Sports Star and fly over. Oh, well, not the Sports Star, but one of the other aircraft and fly on over. Yep. <laughs> yeah. If Anthony Simmons, the Oops. frequent flyer, can come, then surely you can come. Uh, but he flies frequently, doesn't he? No, well, no, he's the infrequent <laughs> flyer. <laughs> Oops, that's, just, the, just that's a, the dirty little secret of PCDU, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to say that just because he flies more than we do. <laughs> uh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Well, speaking of things uh, more further afield, of course, um, there's a lot of talk around, and we know our, our colleagues and our friends in the uh, in the aviation podcast industry keep saying, you know, man, you've got to get across to Oshkosh this year. Um, Baz, we know you're definitely going to Oshkosh. Yep. Um, oh, jealous. So uh, we're going to hang up now. No, that's not true. No, um, <laughs> so, Baz, you're going to Oshkosh. Are you going on your own? Are you going with a tour, an organized tour, or how are you doing that? I'm just going on my own. There's actually a bit of a uh, plan that I'm, I'm hatching. It kind of depends on my friend uh, Jevon in Edmonton, Canada. Uh, if he buys a plane in time, he's already got the uh, the parking spot at the local airport. But Jeff. if he buys a plane in time, uh, then I'm actually going to fly to Edmonton 
and then hop in his little plane and whatever it turns out oh, to be and cool. we'll, we'll, we'll fly into Oshkosh. But uh, that's the plan. If that doesn't happen, I've got my flights to Chicago on uh, you know, Quantz in American. So I've made sure that I'm flying an A380 on the way there and back to LA. Uh, uh, if not, they're still flying them. the new ones to Dallas, the new routes to Dallas, huh? No, they weren't around yet when I... Uh, booked uh, i'll have to look into that actually uh, if there's if i can change them if there's any interest in doing that really um, well, avoid la hello yeah that's true i've only uh. been there once i've only been there once uh oh. didn't have much of a problem to be honest lucky you yeah san francisco is the way to go if you can swing it yeah but they're not doing that yeah. they aren't going that way yeah, uh, they're pushing, taking their San Francisco routes, and they're heading off to uh, Dallas instead. Yeah, well, Dallas, no, there's a there's a cool airport. I've been there plenty of times. Awesome. Now, what's his friend's name? It's Jevin, is it? Jevin. Yep. Jevin in Canada. We're we're calling you out. Get that get that aircraft purchase, pal. Yeah, come on. Then you can yeah, uh, be cool. It's the best way to arrive, isn't it? Yeah, put some fuel bladders in, and you can hop across the pond and pick us up, bring us back. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> that's my plan i'm gonna i'm gonna basically my ticket currently gets me into chicago on uh, the thursday afternoon before and depending on uh, whether jeff and gets an aircraft or not i'm gonna get a flight to edmonton and otherwise i'm just gonna hang around chicago for a few days and then make my way down to oshkosh and uh, spend a week there well uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll tell our listeners right now that uh, you know the chances of grant and i getting there are fairly remote quite frankly so uh, in lieu of us uh, being there and uh, given that Baz is uh, part of the PCDU team, you'll you'll be our man on the spot. Okay, no worries. So you'll have to get that Aussie accent. Uh, you know, you have to start working on that, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. no one will believe me if I if I show up there and say, "Yeah, I'm from playing crazy down under." And <laughs> I go, "Yeah, no, you're not." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you gone. You've gone down under. Come right back around the other side, right? Yep. No, we're working on trying to land some sponsorship to get us over there. So uh, if you know anyone with a few thousand dollars who wants to get a couple of mad Aussies to stand in uh, in the heart of uh, of Aeroshell Square and the rest of Oshkosh and go, hey, we're here, guys, and everyone go, huh? Then, who are you? Yeah. Yeah, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> you and yeah. a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be like, you know, Wayne's World when they went to London. <laughs> All right, Baz. Well, we, uh, as usual, we were going to make that a short discussion, but we've turned it into a long one. But uh, always entertaining and great to have you on the show, mate. And um, oh. we're just going to put some pressure on you here. We've been looking for a, uh, a bio from you to put on our webpage. We still haven't got one about Baz. Okay. So uh, we're going to put that in the show just to put a bit more pressure on you, mate. Just keep reminding me and uh, I'll see what I can do soon. I mean, even Dan's got his one up from New Zealand and he's only been really? on the show a couple of times. So come on, man. Yeah. No, I'll, uh, I'll do it soon. I just keep forgetting. It's one of those things that you tell me to do and then I forget it. Yeah. Jeez, you'd think he had aircraft to fly and software to write. I mean, jeez. Mate, you'd, yeah, you'd, think, be good. you'd think on this enormous salary we're giving you, you could at least do that for us. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll, get, I'll get around to it soon. <laughs> no worries. All right, Baz. Baz Sheffers, uh, all one word on Twitter, is the place to find Baz if you want to find him and his musings about all things flying and uh, all things, uh, I guess, uh, in the Apple world. Yep, a fair, a fair bit of that. And you can also find Baz. Uh, Baz, you're on the, uh, the Downwind forums as well. Have you, you've got a username there that's a little bit different, I think. Uh, it's called, yeah, it's Beswell. Beswell, so there we are. So yeah. make sure you follow him. And uh, Bez, I think, occasionally uh, drops a, a post or two in on our forums at downwind.com.au, so that's excellent stuff. Yeah, and of course, the recreational flying forums as well, uh, where I've chat with all the other recreational flyers. If you're interested in recreational flying, you should check it out. All right, mate, thanks very much for being on the show, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right, see you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Baz. Stick around, folks. After the break, we're going across the ditch with Dan Morris. Good. 
Looking for a studio to record your next project? From recording and song production to music videos, disc duplication, and DVD presentation kits designed to get you noticed. Audiovisual Media is more than just a recording studio. It's a complete solution for musicians with recording and music video packages available. Record your next project at Audiovisual Media and score free studio time. To find out how, visit our website at www.audiovisualmedia.com.au or call us on 0407091524. Yeah, good day, Paulie. Just a minor service this time, mate. I did all the routine safety checks, plus tested the circuits and the diagnostics, but uh, overall, everything's looking pretty bang on. So, she's all yours. Oh, that's great. Cheers, buddy. As an avionics technician in the Army, you'll get to work on much bigger, shinier toys than a regular mechanic, plus get unbeatable job security and trade apprenticeship training. Call 131901 or visit defencejobs.gov.au to find out more. Army, challenge yourself. Would you like to podcast with the Lifestyle Pod Network? We are Australia's fastest-growing podcast network, and we're looking for people who love to podcast. You get great benefits like a free blog, podcast hosting with unlimited bandwidth, and a great community of podcasters to connect with. Find out more by visiting lpnhost.com. Pilot Stu here from the Pilot's Journey podcast. You're listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, where it's what's down under that counts. Now back to Grant and Steve, the masters of sound effects. Joining us on the line from Palmerston North in beautiful New Zealand, it's Dan Morris. Hi, Dan. Hello, hello. How are we going? Welcome back to the Kiwi segment, or welcome to the Kiwi segment, I guess, but this is the first official one. Um, I believe I'm eminently qualified uh, for the Kiwi segment. Yes, we got the accent for it. Right, so another uh, Trans-Tasman takeover. Yes, that's right. of, Of the West Island. Ooh. Yeah. Now, are we the Northwest Island or the South? Because, you know, doesn't that make Tasmania the Southwest Island or is that Tasmania sort of like Stewart Island? Who cares? Whatever. It's just down the bottom. I'll have to have a look at a map of Tasmania. Oh, the hate mail's going to flow for this one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, folks, we've been uh, plugging away uh, trying to encourage uh, our New Zealand listeners to send us in some content. And um, uh, we've been getting, uh, you know, some news articles here and there being sent to us from many and varied sources, which is very encouraging. So keep those going. And we'll uh, should mention right at the top here that it's uh, playing crazy down under at gmail.com and if you've got ideas that uh, Dan might uh, want to have a look at over there in New Zealand we'll certainly send them through to us and we'll pass them along so uh, to those of you who've done that we uh, really appreciate it yeah keep them coming it's always good to get some ideas about what to chat about yeah if anyone's got any any ideas or subjects they think might be uh, worth mentioning contact me via Twitter or by via you guys I'm sure we'll talk about how to contact me at some stage. Yeah. Yep. Okay, yeah, so yeah. we're all looking here at this uh, rather impressive Google document, Dan, that you've made up. Uh, what's the <laughs> what's the first story here that we're going to have a bit of a chat about? Well, it has been since the 5th of February this year, 100 years of official flying in New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> Grant himself know that it's been a bit longer than that. Richard Pierce. <clears throat> yes. And uh, right. Oh, did you hear that? Did you hear that way in the background? You can hear you can hear David going, photo, where's the photo? Dude. <laughs> <laughs> sure, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're digging a, a box brownie out of the ground around Timaru as we speak. Absolutely. Good to <laughs> One can only hope. Yeah, so 5th of February 1911, there's a couple of brothers Vivian Walsh and Leah Walsh, they, um, out of Auckland, flew New Zealand's first controlled and recorded flight in an aircraft called the Manurewa. They actually went on to do email and, and passenger flights and went into the old flight instruction as well. They actually built uh, their own flying boats um, off designs. Cool. 
So that were they their own designs, or were they somebody no, else? No, they, they weren't. They were built off a of plan. But no, the original kit were, builders. Yeah, they were operated um, out of the uh, Water Meta Harbour uh, in Auckland, probably around cool. Mechanics Bay, which ended up yep. being a flying boat base and is still being used um, as a helicopter base at the moment. So okay. it's proximity to, to Auckland City. Yep, um, I remember. The, I remember as a kid watching the uh, Widgeons, the Grummans, coming up and down right. out of at Mechanics Bay. Uh, Fred Laird, CPA. Yes. yes. Shower of spray and off. off yeah. Yep. I've got his book somewhere here. Yep. With the famous photo uh, of him flying underneath the uh, Harbour Bridge. That's the one. Uh, actually, got in trouble for that. He had his yes. license a couple of times. Yeah, he, he got in trouble when the uh, Kiwi Air Force flew a Sunderland under there. They uh, No one really said anything because I don't think anyone noticed. <laughs> and uh, this Walsh, these Walsh brothers actually lead me on to uh, another event which happens in January every year is the uh, Walsh Memorial Flying School, which is yep. set up as a memoriam uh, to the Walsh Brothers and run by the Scouting Association. It takes place in a place called Matamata, which is in uh, Waikato, probably about 20 k's to the northeast of Hamilton, okay. uh, which is a city of a population of about 150,000 in, in the Waikato region. And for two weeks in January each year, there's about 100 students, uh, 15 aeroplanes, uh, descend on a, uh, what's normally a an unattended grass airfield, <laughs> and it becomes New Zealand's busiest airport for two weeks. Wow. And I think it has actually been the Southern Hemisphere's busiest airport on a couple of occasions. Um, That's pretty busy. It is. I had the privilege of uh, instructing there in 2009. So it's basically built on volunteers. So all the instructors are, are volunteers. A lot of them are current airline pilots, uh, military instructors, and uh, Students there uh, who come from the Scouting Association, Air Training Corps, and a lot come through the rotary system as well. Okay. And so they pay they... a fee of about $1,800, which gets them up to solo status, two weeks of three meals a day, and uh, a place to put their tent, <laughs> and it's pretty much non-stop flying. Jeez, I might oh. sign up for that myself. Yeah. yeah. What also makes it interesting is that the Airways Corporation provides uh, air traffic controllers. The portable tower is put up there. So it becomes a Class D control zone. Oh, wow. Uh, the Met service provides forecasters. So uh, METARs are put out every hour, TAFs, uh, and ATIS as well. And also you've got rescue fire provided by the uh, RNZAF. Wow. So it's a, it's a hell of a coming together of the New Zealand aviation community. Yeah, now and New Zealand's got a, a large number of pop, uh, pilots per head of population, doesn't it? Absolutely. And our yeah, pilots are yeah. all over the world. It's quite often yeah. you'll hear a New Zealand accent. You know, if you ever listen to live ATC, yeah. any part of the world, you'll hear a New Zealand accent among probably Australians and Canadians as well. But, yeah, a lot of New Zealand pilots, um, always an oversupply, unfortunately. But uh, but this this could explain a lot about it, you know, getting – I don't think we do anything at this scale in Australia, do we, Steve? Well, you, you certainly don't hear of it. I know that the Scouting Association here, although quite large and, and probably sadly not as large as it used to be, um, certainly not back when I was a kid, it was uh, it was huge. But um, I know when they when they do a lot of their jamborees and things like that, there's always an aviation contingent there that uh, that engages in that sort of stuff. But we also have the air cadets here. Do they have those over there too, like the the Air Force cadets and stuff? Do they do that? Yeah, there? there is the Air Training Corps, which yep. isn't now officially part of the, the armed forces. It was, I think, up until the 60s when they still had military yeah, training or whatever it was but it just comes under the cadet forces I think there's sea cadets as well as um, army as well um, okay 
Yeah, so yeah. there's quite a, quite a few of those guys go to um, to the Walsh Flying School, and uh, yeah, it's just a great time for for the students. It's um, cheap flying, and for the instructors, it's a good chance to, um, to to network in my group or flight, as it were. We had the probably second from the top, uh, Eddie Nelson, uh, who was also a, a flight instructor along with me. Okay. Uh, so do you, do you do like a uh, a training or a pre a pre start session for the instructors only to make sure everyone's sort of teaching the same syllabus and yeah, well, it's all it's all based on the on the Part sixty one uh, syllabus. Um, so it's what ninety nine percent of aero clubs and flying schools in New Zealand teach. Yep. Anyway, but um, definitely for the uninitiated, um, I know the first time I was there, you know, when you're in a circuit and there's twelve other aircraft in the circuit and you're running <laughs> two parallel grass runways, and uh, can get quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of Great aircraft fun. would you? So yes, one five twos, Tomahawks, Technams. Also, they'll they'll bring along a a, a CT from time to time. Mm. <laughs> Got to have a parrot. Plastic parrot. Exactly. Um, when I was there, it was it was being rented out for $100 an hour, which is including oh, wow. instructor. So cheap aerobatic ratings. The Air Force usually like to bring something along as well. So um, we had a couple of CT4s there. They brought an Iroquois in. Sea okay. Sprite came in. Oh, um, cool. Fly past by 757s and Orions and all that kind of stuff. Wow, that is an, uh, that's so an outstanding not, initiative, though, that they're they, they're doing there. And like you say, Grant, it'd be good if they could uh, pull together and do something like that here. That's that yeah. sounds really fantastic. Yeah, well, when I was there in nine, 2009, that was the 45th annual Walsh Flying School, so it's been going a very long time. Wow. Do they allow yeah. Aussies in, or is it Kiwi only? Yeah, there's quite a few Aussies. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'd encourage any young people out there interested to have a look at their website. Mm. A Google search should should be able to find it and. Um, Get get the info because it's a it's, it's a great time. The food's great. I'll put on four kilos for that fortnight, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite the opposite. Because normally, when you're flat out instructing, the only thing you can shove through the little holes is a Mars bar and a can of Coke. Absolutely, so, yeah. You know, and so most of the instructors wind up pretty thin after the end of a flight camp. But uh, <laughs> yeah, not this one by the sounds of it. But uh, I recall the busiest day. Uh, it was from going from six a.m. till midnight because we did night flying as well. Wow. Uh, I think just under 1,200 movements were registered by the tower. So, uh, yeah, great times, great times. And just awesome. having a look for the website there, it looks like it's uh, Flying School. That's skol.co.nz. So, Grant, will uh, we'll throw a link to that in the show notes. Yep. Just under $1,600 for the Flying School. Cool. And then you pay per hour that you actually use. No, no, that's all they pay. Oh, wow. So, it's eight and a half hours flying, um, food and, and board. Okay, if you can clock up more than eight and a half hours, do you do, do you just pay extra, or you just a, you like do? A I can't. Um, the rate I think changes. Okay, I'm not sure yeah. what it is exactly, but um, I think the fuel's sponsored as well, so oh, it's very great. cheap. Yeah, because yeah. they're the big killers of anything: is people's money, fuel, and the um, and insurance and things like that. So if you can get people on board to help that, absolutely. Wow, awesomeness. So uh, that's always an interesting. Um, uh, yeah. exciting time in the New Zealand aviation calendar sort of the middle of January when the Walsh Flying yeah. School's going on so any, any indications of how this year's one went yeah it just went as strong as usual a few of our students where I work uh, ex-Walshies as you call them so they would have got their first taste of aviation there maybe soloed and then figured out that they did want to fly and then go and enrol at one of the flying schools in New Zealand yeah so, so it's, it's a real good intro startup thing it's not really for people who have already got a bit of experience yeah no, they do have options for people who have been there before as, as return students to do some more advanced flying. You've got a lot of GA examiners there, so flight tests can be done for pretty oh, much cool. any, any licence. So PPLs, yeah. um, I think, are done on a regular basis. Not sure, so sure about CPLs. but um, Yeah, okay. 
And that's all that's all Kiwi CAA licenses or Correct, um, any Aussies there you can assess. No, that's just all uh, just all New Zealand. No, that's yeah. cool. That's cool. Yeah. All right, Man, that's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one we got here on the list, Dan, and uh, Air New Zealand news. Now uh, they've they've been having some uh, some big events happening there at Air New Zealand lately. Uh, I guess none, not the least of which is uh, some triple sevens have uh, been making their way into the fleet. Yeah. Well, they've had the the two hundreds in um, service since I think two thousand and five, and they take delivery of the three hundred ERs. Um, the first one arrived about a month ago, I believe, and today it's actually been doing a tour around the country, showing off the new economy cuddle class couch. cuddle couch. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen. Rico the uh, very frequent flyer. Yeah. Very, very fruity frequent Yeah, flyer. yeah. Yes. I think the jury's out on whether or not uh, uh, he's, he's a good choice of a, of a mascot, but um, certainly gives me a laugh. Well, I mean, the point um, about the point about that is whether he's a good mascot or not, it's got people talking about it, and that's that's the whole point, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. As I sit here, I'm actually wearing a Rico T-shirt, so <laughs> I think I've bought into it officially. Yes, <laughs> I don't have. care so, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I believe there's there's eight eight of these to come along to replace the 747 fleet, and uh, they actually flew into Wellington today uh, to show it off. Which is good because you can't put a 744 into Wellington; they won't fit. They're too big for landing there, aren't they? It's an interesting runway. It's just under two kilometres long, but it's surrounded by terrain. It's uh, <laughs> not unlike an aircraft carrier. Uh, yeah, water at each end and hills either side, right? Absolutely. Qantas used to fly an S- 747 SP in there Correct. back in the day. That was in the 70s um, and early 80s. I remember that it one. Was and then replaced by the 767, I believe. In fact, I think the first Qantas 76 route was Brisbane-Wellington in 1985. So you don't get many heavies going into into Wellington these days. It used to be a, used to be a lot of 767s, but now it's all A320s and 737s, especially on the Trans-Tasman. So when you get something uh, big, a big wide body, and it, it attracts a bit of attention. Yeah, it's also so, good for some amazing approach videos of aircraft bucking, weaving, and massive offsets due to all the crazy winds there. You've you've seen them. I've I've flown in there many a time, and. Uh, uh, got a, a, a pasting, as we call it, uh, going across <laughs> the Cook Strait. There's a mission for you, Dan. We want to see you on a YouTube video in one of those hairy approaches. Okay, I'll see what I can do. Pulling it off. Don't <laughs> stack the plane or anything. But yeah, 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 yeah. Successful <laughs> landing award. Take you know? one of your students yeah, yeah. down there. Wind is something we do quite well in New Zealand. and um, Especially Wellington. Absolutely, yeah. So... We've got the A320s coming on domestically to replace the 737-300s. Plus the, um, the one that's all black. That's the one, yeah. So they'll be slowly taking over the 737 fleet. I think they've got 14 on the way. Boy, Boeing must be kind of annoyed. Yeah, I would have thought they would have gone for the NGs, but uh, that's, I think, just my bias. Not a plastic boy, huh? <laughs> I don't know. I like to see throttles moving. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but still, if someone, gave me, job in the right spot. If someone gave me a job in A320, I'd, I'd surely take it. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, folks. That's Dan Morris. If you're looking for someone to really give your A320 a spin, give me help. <laughs> <laughs> and I specialize in spins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. About that recovery bit, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Well, it's actually interesting. Um, I was actually looking on the Boeing website today and I uh, was looking actually at a, at a video for the, um, the 747-800 uh, Intercontinental and um, the expression fly-by-wire was coming across that video quite often. So it looks like even Boeing is going that way. It's a, it's a proven technology now and I think Boeing have got a different approach to it. Uh, yes, it, yeah. We, the, the computer still flies it. The sticks still move, even though it's fly-by-wire. Everything still moves as opposed to the Airbus yeah. thing, which is all about detente and things like that. Absolutely, yeah. And I think the, the, the pilot still has the ultimate say in the, in the um, Boeing version of fly-by-wire, but it's probably yeah. more of the 
professionals to talk about there. But um, mind you, the seven four seven eight I has to actually get flying and certified and going. It's like that. That's having as not as much fun as the seven eight seven. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but I mean that's another aircraft in New Zealand are waiting on is the seven eight seven. Yeah, that's been pushed back further. Um, I think they're talking about mm-hmm. twenty fourteen now. Um, yeah, for the, for the they're, Dash they're, version. Yeah, because New Zealand's the launch customer for the nine, aren't they? Absolutely. So I'm sure they're eagerly awaiting that. We've also got Air New Zealand opening a new domestic route, a regional route, which doesn't happen that often. This time Air Nelson, who operate the Q300s, Dash 8 Q300s, are going to be flying from Paraparumu to Auckland uh, three days a week. So, yeah, three times return per day a week and then three times a weekend. Now, Paraparam, as we call it, or Pram, is about... Yeah, 50k to the north of Wellington on what's known as a Capti Coast. And there's always been an airport there. At one stage, it was Wellington's main airport until they uh, built and opened Rongatai, which is the name of Wellington International Airport. So it's uh, a decent sized runways. It's currently going under a bit of um, renovation, uh, resealing the runway, putting in new lighting, uh, parpies and reels, uh, runway and indicator lights, as well as a uh, flight service, which was part of the deal with the CAA, is that at least a flight service goes in just to help with traffic separation, etc. because mm-hmm. Paraparam is quite a, a, a busy training airport. The uncontrolled airspace um, goes up to 5,500 feet. So although it's quite close to Wellington, there is quite a lot of uncontrolled airspace yeah. around there. Yeah, that's pretty good for only a few miles north of Wellington to get up to 5,500. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's quite popular for uh, IFR training. There's an EDB approach there and a couple of GPS approaches. Cool. So there's a large flying school uh, yeah, a large flying school base here, uh, a rather big aero club. Um, you've got helicopter operations. You've got gliding. Are they still doing the ag work out of there? Not so much. I haven't been there since late last year, but I don't recall seeing any ag planes yeah. Oh, when, when I was growing up in Paraparam a very long time ago, I remember watching the Fletcher ag wagons going off the strip out the back of our house. Yeah, well, you find those Fletchers uh, pretty much anywhere long enough to land one in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're yeah. probably still the same ones I was watching too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that is going to be happening Labor Weekend which is October, uh, 25th of October uh, in New Zealand. And cool. that should uh, hopefully make some money for them. The last regional service I opened was Masterton to Auckland, which okay. Masterton's in the Wairarapa, which is uh, to the east of where I live, if you look on uh, Google Earth. It's got a population of about 14,000, and they fly Eagle, operate a 1900 out of Masterton to Auckland on a daily basis. And that turned out to be quite a successful venture. I'm sure that went a long way to get them to operate the Paraparam service. I've been talking about it for a while, and I was actually quite surprised to find out there's going to be three Q300s a day. Uh, to yeah, work. well, um, this is... A this is catchment area of about 50,000, so I'm not sure if it's going to be taking traffic from Wellington or even tra- taking traffic from, from Palmerston North. Could take but, traffic out of Palmy. It's a little bit of a reach to Palmy, but it's easier getting there than getting into Wellington, right? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a suburban electric train network that runs up to Paraparam a train every 20 minutes, so it'll be quite easy to get up there. Car parking will be a lot less than Wellington, I'd say, uh, free compared with, uh, what about, <laughs> weekend or something. Yep. Now, is that every 20 minutes? Now, is, is New Zealand railway time measured in the same way that Melbourne railway time is measured? In other words, every 20 minutes might be sort of, you know, maybe every 35. <laughs> yeah, plus or minus 20 minutes. <laughs> yes, and we apologise for any inconvenience caused. Next. Oh, yes. Connect, well, sorry, Metro apologises for any inconvenience. <laughs> Yeah. I, I couldn't resist it. So Air Nelson's going to run a Q300, uh, the Dash 8, from Paraparam, a.k.a. Paraparaumu, for those looking on a map, 
all the way up to Auckland. Now, this yep. is the same Air Nelson and the same type of aircraft that just had a little bit of a bungle today, didn't they? That's the one, yeah. Today, a flight, uh, Air Nelson flight, which was operating from Hamilton to Wellington, had to divert to Woodburn, which is in Blenheim. It's officially a military airport, but it's it's civilian mostly. Yep. It's owned by the Air Force. And uh, he was having nose gear problems. And it appears from the pictures that uh, the nose gear didn't uh, extend. And uh, they ended up doing a nose gear up landing on the, on the main runway there at, at Woodburn. Uh, everyone was okay. That was fine. And it looks like the aircraft is uh, going to be ferried to Nelson at some stage once they've got it um, fixed enough to fly. Yeah, indications where they're going to do a bit of a patch job and get a ferry permit from Bombardier and the CAA so that they could hop it across to Nelson with the gear locked down. Yeah, well, that's only a 30 nautical mile trip, so it wouldn't take too long. Yeah, hop, skip and a splat. Absolutely. Yeah, so there's a bit of uh, bit of drama. Yeah. Also yeah. recently, unfortunately, I, I should say, the, at an air show in Masterton, it was a, like a World War One, World War Two air show, flew over a Venom, which had been recently bought by a guy who lives in Wanganui, which is... Uh, fairly close to where I live, in Swiss Colours, I think it's Swiss Air Force machine. And they landed short of the runway and I think part of the main gear went through the wing. Oh, ouch. Therefore writing it off. Yeah, <laughs> no. bye-bye. Yes. Static yeah. only, baby. Absolutely. So that was a bit of a sad occasion. Very. All right, then. Well, uh, let's move on to the next subject. And, uh, Dan, you've got this uh, under the heading of mountain flying. Now, uh, I think you told us in the last time we talked to you that you've uh, you, it's quite an interest of yours to, to do mountain flying. Is that right? Yeah, well, 60% of New Zealanders considered mountainous terrain. And the CAA have, have decided that it would be a good idea to introduce it to the, the uh, syllabus for both PPL and CPL and also for us instructors as well. So that's going to be introduced uh, in July, and it's going to be examined as part of a commercial pilot's licence flight test. As I said, most of New Zealand is mountainous terrain. In fact, the furthest away you can get from mountainous terrain in New Zealand is 33 nautical miles, (laughs) which if you look up on Google Earth or Google Maps, the Kaipara Harbour, which is up in Northland, fairly flat there that's um, furthest away from mountain terrain you can get so you can see it's going to be quite an important um, skill to learn oh I thought it would have been out around fielding and Danny Verk and all that and, and not far from you you know that, that's pretty much of a big plain area that well there's a there's the Tararuas and the Ruahinis which mm. go right up the middle of the North Island where they sort of meet I suppose you call it there's a Manawatu Gorge which is um, one of the windiest parts of New Zealand <laughs> it's a big funnel absolutely it's a big funnel and they've got a, um, a lot of wind turbines up there as well which is a great place to put it <laughs> right where the aircraft are trying to go through and load the well, cloud. Well, going through there, I can tell you. For our listeners who are perhaps not uh, familiar with some of the challenges that uh, mountain flying presents, I guess the, the, the combination of the mountainous terrain and the, and the winds that you get in that part of the world uh, would really make it a, a, an essential part of uh, any learning syllabus for a pilot over there. Yeah, absolutely. I ha- haven't seen the 100% details on how it's going to be examined or how it's going to be instructed yet, but I believe it's going to be starting off with, uh, at the PPL level, it's going to be a, a, a terrain and terrain weather awareness sort of flight so it might be a couple of hours that uh, learning that at the CPL level it's going to comprise of five hours flying so it's going to be two hours of low flying training minimum which we all do over here anyway flying below 500 feet in designated areas not that I'm jealous <laughs> no no that's great fun and also um, a minimum of two hours uh, basic mountain flying so it's going to be looking at things like uh, false horizons, um, how to superimpose a horizon um, on, on rising terrain, valley turns, operating in a valley, crossing ridges, saddles and, and passes, 
finding uh, uh, routes how to how to get out of of the mountainous terrain. So you know, like following a river, knowing that rivers generally flow downhill. So if you follow it, you may get away from the high terrain. How to deal with disorientation and various emergencies as well. Um, cool. Yeah. So there will be a training syllabus for us as instructors uh, before any of the training uh, goes on for the students. So um, that could be quite interesting stuff. And um, as, as, as you well know, and I'm sure as well of you, as a lot of your listeners know, New Zealand is, is very mountainous. Highest peak being Mount Cook, just over 12,000 feet in the middle of the South Island. And here in the North Island, you've got Mount Ruapehu, which tops out at about 9,500 feet, which is probably about 80 nautical miles from where I live. So Yeah, and Ruapehu, is, is the, that's the dormant volcano, but is Narahui still smoking? That's the volcano on its side, yeah? Yeah, Ruapehu erupted in 95, I think. Um, okay. And Narahui, which is your more traditional sort of cone-shaped volcano, is, is still fairly dormant as, as far as I know. No wonder they call you guys the shaky isles. Absolutely, yeah. If, if you look at it, you know we're on the on the Pacific Rim of Fire, two plates meeting, and uh, you know you got the mountains are pretty much a spine going right out mm-hmm. the middle of New Zealand, which gives us our interesting weather patterns and your great scenery for the Lord of the Rings. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's going to be uh, interesting, and um, I'll definitely update you guys as as we find out more information about it. That'd be cool. Uh, well, an excellent report, Dan, and uh, we should tell our listeners where they can find you online. Now, you're on Twitter. You're the Grand Vizier, and uh, you, you're pretty active yeah. on Twitter, mate, so that's a good place to follow you. Yep, that's that's true. Also, uh, yeah, probably best way would be to contact me through Twitter or through PCDU. Yep, so, uh, of course, everyone probably knows my email address is uh, playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. And uh, if you've got news, as I said at the top here, for uh, Dan or, you know, links or articles or anything you'd like him to follow up about flying across there in New Zealand, um, you know, just uh, you know, perhaps put in the, the subject line there something about uh, Kiwi Desk or New Zealand News, just something to make it obvious that you know we need to forward it on to Dan. And um, you know, the, the more research we can get Dan doing for the show, that's that well, that's less work Grant and I have to do. So that can't be a bad thing at all. Uh, yeah, choice. The more the listeners do, the less I have to do as well. Yes. Oh, even choice. more choice. Well, that's uh, excellent, Dan. Thanks very much, and we'll catch up with you again in a few episodes from now with some more news from the Shaky Isles. Absolutely. Thank you very much, and uh, talk to you soon. Thanks, mate. G'day, I'm Michael. Hi, I'm Rosalyn. And, and we're, we're from, from downwind.com.au, the website for aviation enthusiasts. Come and join a community of passionate aviators who love to share about their experiences and the joy of being in the air. On Downwind, you can participate in forum discussions, view great photos and videos, and keep up to date with a weekly newsletter. So come and join the community at downwind.com.au. Hi, this is Max Flight. This is Milford from Flight Time Radio. You can catch Grant and Steve each week on the Airplane Geeks podcast with their Australia Desk Report. Over on our podcast, Steve and Grant send in a bi-weekly update that covers flying in the Southern Hemisphere. Our listeners look forward to the Flying Down Under segment for the great interviews and a taste of aviation life from another point of view. www.airplanegeeks.com If you get a chance, visit flighttimeradio.com to learn a little about our radio show and podcast. Well, I've interrupted the show long enough, so let me turn all you playing crazies back over to the guys and their usual outstanding content. Cheers from America. 
Looking for a different way to promote your business? Our podcasts are a great way to reach listeners across the Asia-Pacific region and a growing audience around the world. We can produce your ad in-house in a variety of styles or use your own pre-produced commercial. With an expanding online aviation community of professionals and enthusiasts, our podcasts can get your name out there. For more information on our advertising packages, go to www.plainecrazydownunder.com and click on the Advertising With Us link. It's what's down under that counts. This and other great shows at the Aviation Podcast Network. The Voices in Your Head.com. Well, there's a lot of interesting new aircraft going around the skies these days, particularly here in Australia, and uh, probably none more interesting, in fact, than the Airbus A380. Now, of course, Qantas has been copying most of the limelight with the uh, with the A380, and I guess rightly so, for good reasons and for bad. But, of course, they're not the only people that operate them down here. Singapore Airlines send them down here as well, and also Emirates. Now, I've not yet had the pleasure of flying on an A380, and I'm uh, very much looking forward to the day when I get my chance to, but uh, someone who's had that chance very recently, flying across to Auckland and back from the Lifestyle Pod Network is James Williams, and he joins us on the line now to tell us all about it. G'day, James. G'day, Steve. How are you? I'm very well, mate. And I tell you what, I'm not the least bit envious. Uh, not only have you been flying on an A380 recently across to New Zealand, but uh, you've been flying on Emirates. That must have been quite an experience. Yeah, Emirates. Uh, from my perspective, Emirates is a great airline, and it amazes me having done this trip to New Zealand just how how they're saturating this market. You know, I was flying out of Auckland just yesterday, and I was getting on an A380, but at the same time there was a triple seven going to Brisbane and I think a triple seven going to to Melbourne as well uh, and and then both all of those flights going on to Dubai so they're really saturating sort of this this uh, cross Tasman uh, sector and and also going up to Dubai and I guess on to London yeah we've comment, commented quite a few times on the show here about the logic they use there and it's quite clever the, the aircraft are coming down here and would sit here idle uh, yes so basically what they're doing is selling those seats off at a pretty reasonable price from all reports and making use of those those aircraft in the downtime um, and it's um, we've got quite a few um, Kiwi friends here in Melbourne who have switched from using Air New Zealand predominantly and flying on Emirates because they're getting good prices it seems and um, you know they're, they're really happy with the the standard of the aircraft. Yeah, no, look, that's exactly right. And, and Emirates are doing one other thing too, Steve. I Just to give you an indication, I think I spent uh, for two seats on Emirates economy, $990. And about three days out before the flight, uh, out of Sydney, they offered an upgrade to business class for $175 a seat, Jeez. Australian. And then on the return sector, $175 a seat, New Zealand. So it, for a total of $590 more, I could upgrade my economy seat, which was which was pretty much a very you know a very standard economy rate across to New Zealand to business class and return. So uh, that, that's interesting. We'll come to that in a minute. Tell us first about the 380, the sheer size of the aircraft. Uh, <laughs> it is enormous. It's quite interesting, Steve. I don't think you really get a feel for how big the aircraft is uh, when it's when it's sitting on the tarmac, unless you see it side by side by you know with a, a 747. Um, you certainly do when you're pulling up alongside the 747s uh, when you're on the upper deck. But they're just massive aircraft. Being in business class, you know, you you head down the aero bridge and then you head up the aero bridge because you're going to the top deck and uh, you get on board and the, it, there's a really big feeling of space 
uh, in the cabin. The configuration, I, I'd say, in business class is one of the the most interesting things from my perspective. And they use business class pods. It's different to the A380 for Singapore Airlines or indeed on Qantas in that it's a sort of a two, uh, sorry, a, a single seat on the window, uh, double seats in the center of the aircraft and single seats again on the other side against the other window. And so basically each seat configuration, if you can imagine like a standard economy class seat or two seats, you've basically got a table in the position of one seat and your seat in the position of the other. So it's it's quite huge. It's like you walk into your own cabin. So on the window, there's only one seat between you and the window and it'll either be in a configuration where the seat is next to the window or the seat is in the aisle and the opposing sort of seat area is the table, like a large table and minibar. And then in the center, of the cabin, it's the same again. So you can be sitting with someone either across the aisle or together in the center of the cabin. And I don't know that I've explained it very well, but what I can send you are some photos of what that looks like because it really is quite an amazing feeling cabin. And it's quite different to a lot of the others that I've I've seen, at least in pictures. Yeah, we've. Uh, we, if you can send those pictures over, we'll pop them in the show notes for this sure. episode. I'm just looking actually as we're speaking here at a photo on airliners.net of a uh, business class of an A380-800 uh, for M. And uh, boy, I tell you what, it's only a relatively short flight. What is it, three or four hours across to Auckland? Yeah, three hours and uh, less, actually, two hours and 50 minutes back. You may have to just pry me out of those seats. <laughs> Pretty swish. <laughs> it's a bit like that. It, and it's a fully flat bedded seat, you know, so you can go from the upright pretty much to, to flat. I don't know whether it's completely horizontal, but it certainly feels like it when you're lying in it. I think they're like 17 inch touchscreen panels. Uh, and, you know, with a lot of the modern airliners as well, you know, you can, the entertainment system has something like a thousand programs that you can't watch. You know, you just get enough time to watch a movie on a New Zealand sector, to be honest. Mm. Um, you know, with radio music, but the cameras as well. So you can watch the full takeoff and uh, landing either from below the plane, uh, the the cockpit view or from the tail. And uh, flying into Sydney yesterday, the view from the tail, we had a big thunderstorm in Sydney. We flew in. Um, two things to note about that, a spectacular light show from those cameras. <laughs> um, the other thing was uh, just how smooth that ride was. I've been flying into Sydney in thunderstorms many times on other aircraft. And I think just the sheer size of the A380 just gave it um, such a smooth ride in. We're little. Uh, they landed it a bit heavy, and I, I dare say it was probably you know the is it, is it the second officer on those aircraft that that sometimes get the chance to land them or the third officer. Um, but it was a it was a heavy landing, but uh, very comfortable flight in despite turbulence and everything else. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I know the Qantas ones. Uh, Captain Richard Woodward was telling us not so long back that uh, when they leave Los Angeles, it weighs I think he said five hundred and sixty nine tons. But yes. uh, of course, they wouldn't have it so heavily laden with fuel coming across from New Zealand. Did you get a chance to have a look down at the lower deck at the economy uh, seating down there at all? Well, I have flown that before. Um, the economy class seating is is fairly average as far as economy seats go. It's still comfortable uh, and there, there is a feeling of additional leg room. And I say that as a as a virgin flyer. <laughs> I fly virgin quite often and, you know, domestically. And uh, I'm quite a, I'm over six foot and uh, long legged and I find that quite uncomfortable. But even compared to Qantas, you know, some of the, you know, 767s that would fly that route, the, the leg room is is quite ample. Uh, and I think it's it's got to do with seat design. But again, in economy class, you've still got the single television to the seat. Uh, you've got ample leg room. The seat 
seat pitch is pretty good. Uh, so if you want to if you want to rest, you know, it's quite comfortable. But uh, you know, obviously they they do stack them in in the aircraft. Look in a, in economy, you can walk down the back. You've got uh, sort of a a wall of food that you can go and help yourself to food and drink, which is kind of nice. So you can get up and stretch your leg, grab something from the bar, and come back. In business class, they've got a full lounge up in business class for for first and business class passengers, which is down the back of the business class cabin. So down the back of of the top deck of the A380 with a, a semicircular bar and uh, curved lounge seats. So you can sit there and, you know, and, and look out on the view and talk to other passengers, which is quite good. And each of each of the seats on the lounge has a retractable seatbelt. So just in case the uh, the captain flicks on the uh, fasten your seatbelt sign, you can stay in the bar, drink your drink and just attach yourself to the seats there. Yeah, I think that kind of theory that they're employing there on the Airbus is something that uh, we're going to see probably come back into the 747 fleet. Uh, the last time I flew overseas was with uh, V Australia on one of their 777s. Mm. And they had the same concept. They had an area there where you could walk back and grab grab a snack. And, and the year before when I'd flown with Qantas across to Los Angeles, uh, they didn't have that option in the, in the 747s, but I, I feel, and they may, for all I know, be doing that now, but that's something that they need to be looking at doing because it is important, particularly on the really long-haul flights, to be able to get up and stretch your legs and walk around. And I think, uh, you know, to have a sort of a lounge set up, for want of a better word, uh, somewhere else besides where you're, where you're sitting for, you know, it could be up to 14 hours, uh, is very important, not only from the standard of your of your health, but but just to, to give you something to do besides watch yeah. movies. Look, I, and, and from memory, uh, and it's a, a while ago since I flew these, and it was probably about eight years ago, but I think the extended reach 747s, so the, the most recent 747s that Qantas put in their fleet, they do have that feature. So it came in. But, I mean, you've got a, I guess the 747 fleet in, in Qantas is aging now. So you've got, you know, fairly aging fit outs there. Yeah, I think they're, they're very much looking forward to um, their next generation of aircraft. I think as we record this interview, they're still not able to operate their 380s across to uh, Los Angeles. And I know they're, they're very, very keen for that to resume. Uh, interestingly, with the, um, I, I guess uh, most people wouldn't be talking about it, but we find it interesting with Emirates. They're, they're running different engines on their A380s. They're running the Alliance engines, of course. So they haven't been struck down with the same sort of technical problems that Qantas and indeed Singapore Airlines have been having with their Rolls-Royce powered uh, aircraft. So, uh, so I, look, I feel very safe uh, in the aircraft. I think one of the things that, that I'd, I'd say about the engines and the cabin in particular, and I know um, having spoken to Qantas crew about this, sometimes the, the cabin is so quiet that you don't even know that you're moving. You know, the, the, the whole plane can be pulling back, uh, you know, and actually moving on and you, you don't actually feel it. You know, you, you don't hear it, you don't feel it, you don't you don't even realise the engines are going. And sometimes you're so high up on takeoff that you, you wonder if they're actually going to get the plane off the ground because, you know, the closer you out of the ground, the faster you feel like you're moving. The further yeah. up you are from the ground, the slower it feels. And, uh, you know, they, they eventually get them off and, and it's all good. But uh, it's, you, it's, it's great fun. Did you find it an extended takeoff role? I, I remember the first time um, I took my wife and kids into a 747 and we'd done a bit of flying in the smaller aircraft uh, before that. But uh, back in 07, we went across to the US and t- I took the whole family. And I said to my wife, I said, taking off in a 747 is nothing like taking off in a 73 or an A320. That feeling of, of weight and inertia when you, you you thrust back in your seat on that initial when they initially power up is is just something. It's I find it really exciting. And actually, my poor wife, who's not a not a comfortable flyer, was probably terrified if I had to guess. But uh, do you do you get that same sort of uh, sensation in the A three eighty? It's interesting. I didn't, uh, and and that's why I sort of feel that's why I made the comment. Uh, and I've done a lot of international sectors on aircraft, and I know exactly what you're talking about there. 
from my perspective, and you can you can even feel when the aircraft, you know, you've done enough flying on a 7-4, you, you get the feeling of how laden the plane is um, by, you know, how much thrust they're using on takeoff and how quickly the plane lifts and just that whole feeling of without, without the technical knowledge, it's like a drag. It feels like a drag. It just feels really heavy. Yeah. In the A380, it just it feels like a, a long, long takeoff. You, you kind of think, are we going to get up? <laughs> you know, by the time you realise it's rolling and it's going, because they just it just takes its time, and yet it's so graceful. Uh, there isn't really that feel. I mean, there is. There's definitely a feeling that you you're moving, but it just doesn't. It doesn't. It feels effortless. And the interesting thing too is, um, you know, an aircraft that's weighing you know four or five hundred tons, you would expect to have from the flight deck perspective, you'd expect it to be able to feel that weight. But it's interesting from the couple of A380 pilots that we've spoken to, they both describe the aircraft as being quite nimble to operate, which um, I find amazing it's, it's fly by wire of course the technology yeah. that they use but i would have thought you know that you would get that feeling of weight uh, and inertia about you when you when you're handling the aircraft so it was, was really interesting to hear them describe it as nimble you you can't imagine something so big being associated <laughs> with that word no and and it's quite uh, it's quite a mystery to me how that operates like that i mean there was a section in that flight and it was sort of you know in that in the takeoff where you you get to your initial altitude and you request to go higher you wait for your next instructions from the controllers there was a feeling of oh we're off you know and so there's definitely there's a it was definitely a sort of a it leveled off for its initial sort of period and then it went to take off to its next elevation and it was it was quite I, I did feel it then so they really throttled it and off they went and uh, that was that was a little disconcerting because I hadn't felt that before yeah. but uh, so there's definitely power there you know definitely power in the air and you you can you to use a car term when they put their foot down you really feel <laughs> um, but it was it was a great flight. So uh, just uh, just quickly now, our friend on our show here, Anthony Simmons, um, who describes himself as the infrequent flyer, but probably flies more than, than most of us. Um, yes. He's quite an advocate for Emirates and, and uses them a lot. And we've heard a lot of good things about all the Middle Eastern carriers, but uh, in terms of their service levels. But uh, perhaps um, you could describe for us uh, the level of service on there, and perhaps compare it to you know some of your experiences on other airlines. Yeah, well, look, I've I've flown I, I've flown so many airlines. I've flown uh, United. I've flown Singapore Airlines, I've flown Qantas, uh, KLM, you know, British Airways quite frequently, and domestic airlines in Australia. I would say that Emirates is, is in terms of service, it's up there with Singapore Airlines. I think Singapore Airlines, most would agree, is the benchmark on service. In, in terms of the seating, I think it's very comfortable. In terms of the quality of the staff, in my experience, I've found them to be superb, very attentive. You ask for something, it's it's there. I mean, and this is a business class experience that I'm that I'm talking about, and I really couldn't fault it this trip, you know. And and I've had bad flights, not with Emirates, but I've had bad flights with others, and this certainly wasn't one of those. Certainly not a Tiger Airways experience, then. No, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't flown Tiger, and I'm not sure that I would. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> if you're tall like I am, then trust me, you don't because uh, the seat yeah, pitch is like very that. very narrow. <laughs> uh, you know, and I was doing a bit of I was doing a bit of research, and I think you know if you, if you were going for the, you know, the top of the range, you know, business class experience, I, I I still wonder, and I haven't flown, but I still wonder whether you could beat Singapore Airlines just with the width of their seats and and just the, the fit out of their aircraft. But, you know, for a cross-Tasman trip, this was uh, fantastic. 
Yeah, it certainly remains very, very popular, as I said at the top of the interview. Um, a lot of people I know that, that regularly head across there to New Zealand are, are looking at the Emirates product. And to be honest with you, everybody I've spoken to has had similar glowing reports to, to speak about them. We, I've not flown them myself. Um, I've been across there in, in New Zealand and with Qantas. But, uh, you know, and I have to say, I mean, I'm quite impressed with both those airlines as well as well in terms of their service. But uh, everybody I speak to that flies on uh, on Emirates is uh, certainly a big wrap for them. Yeah. And and I think, you know, if you're, if you're flying uh, a business class too, the, the other thing to remember is the chauffeur drive surface. I didn't get that. Uh, and that was partially because of, uh, I think, the way that I upgraded. But I mean, that service starts at the door. You, you get through the fast tracking uh, is another uh, good business class feature. So as soon as you check in, when you check in in Auckland, you can go straight to a separate pre-clearance, customs pre-clearance, which is right by the uh, Emirates check-in desk. Uh, so you can basically do all your forms and have have your uh, pass stamped. So you can basically just walk through, go through your, your x-ray and security and go straight to the lounge. So it, it's a much faster process of, of getting through. The lounge is probably the only downside from my perspective. While the facilities and the food were brilliant. Um, one of the challenges that I found in both Sydney and Melbourne because of the similar times that the flights come in and leave and, and a lot of transiting passengers, you can have a lot of passengers in the lounge at the same time. So out of Auckland, you had a Sydney flight, a Melbourne flight and a Brisbane flight all uh, leaving at the same time. And the lounges are combined first and business class. Capacity is the issue. Yeah, maybe they're, maybe they're suffering from being too popular from their product, but uh, uh, let's hope that they certainly don't uh, put their prices up too much as we know that they make the bulk of their money on that particular sector out of freight, yes, um, which could actually be an issue on the 380 because um, a lot of the people we speak to that talk about the 380 tell us that the one area of that aircraft that lets the product down is its capacity to carry freight. Apparently, it doesn't carry as much freight even as a 747, so uh, that, that's interesting, but uh, we'll, we'll leave it there, mate. That's really, really interesting. Um, now, of course, uh, the Lifestyle Pod Network, and we've been uh, putting your promos on the on the show here, quite happy to Thank do you. that. Tell us about some of the things that are coming up in 2011 for the Lifestyle Pod Network. Uh, it's it's really kicking goals there. Yeah, uh, we call the, the Lifestyle Pod Network Australia's fastest growing podcast network, and that's in terms of the number of new shows that are coming on board. 2011, we've got some fairly aggressive targets. Uh, we're looking at four new shows per month coming onto the network. That's going to keep me really busy personally. <laughs> I hope you don't have <laughs> and, to edit them, James. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, thankfully. But we've got some really good shows coming up in the pipeline. Um, you can be looking forward to some movie review shows. Uh, we've got some more sports shows on the way, um, potentially some more tech shows too. And just uh, yeah, the philosophy of the Lifestyle Pod Network is really about giving people a voice. Now, that doesn't mean that we we open it up to everyone, but it does mean that when you go there, we're not just seeing you as tech or we're not just seeing you as aviation or, or some other interests. We believe that people are multifaceted. And so having that philosophy means that we need, you know, we, we want to be introducing new shows all the time. And I think 2011 is going to be a great year for us. Yeah, it's a, it's certainly a great network. And, um, you know, there's not many people around Australia at the moment that are doing what you guys are doing over there. Um, I'm a big consumer of uh, Podcasters Emporium and I'd say to our listeners, and we know there's a few of them around that are listening to what we're all doing here and thinking, hmm, you know, I could do that too. Um, really, uh, really encourage you to get over there, listen to shows like the show that James and Dave uh, do there at Podcasters Emporium and, you know, we talk about Cliff Ravenscraft as well over at the Podcast Answer yep. Man. These are really great resources for people that want to learn about the technology of podcasting and how to do it right and uh, I'd like to think that uh, we're doing it right here between, between all of us. Yeah, I think you are. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> And uh, look, uh, Steve, thanks so much. And congratulations on 50 episodes. And I look forward to the next 50 as well. Thanks very much, mate. And just tell us uh, if people want to follow you on uh, Twitter, James, where can they do that? They can follow me, James Williams 90 It's 90. And uh, you can 
follow the Lifestyle Pod Network as well or go over to the website and you'll find all the details, lifestylepodnetwork.com.au. That's outstanding, mate. And I'll tell you what, um, we don't get any sponsorship from Emirates, but I think I might send this interview off to them. What do you think? <laughs> I think you should. <laughs> I think we ought to. James, it's been a real, real pleasure talking to you, mate. Thanks very much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. And thanks very much to James Williams for uh, taking the time to come and have a bit of a chat about things. You know, Grant, we had a recent meetup, uh, or they had a recent meetup for the Lifestyle Pod Network uh, down here in Melbourne just the other night, and um, you weren't able to go, but uh, I had a great time going down and meeting the guys. Yeah, I would like to have met the guys. Uh, it was great chatting with them the other day when they had us on their uh, Podcasters Emporium show. And uh, yeah, I wanted to do, wanted to go down and meet them and everyone else, but uh, just wasn't able to get away from work in time and had a couple other things I had to do. So oops, maybe next time. Yeah, we ought to mention Podcasters Emporium and you hear us running the promos for that show uh, quite often. Uh, that's a podcast about making podcasts, basically. And uh, it, it's uh, if you're interested in doing podcasts and, and looking for uh, ways to do it and methods to do it and want to know how we do it, well, uh, we featured in a recent episode of that show. And um, But uh, yeah, uh, James and uh, along with Dave Gray do a great job on that show. Uh, I listen to every episode um, when it comes out about every second or third week. I think they put one out, so uh, well worth a listen to. I think it was a bit of a mutual admiration society that night because yeah. I like the way they uh, do their show and and, uh, they liked the way we do ours. <laughs> yeah, who knew? <laughs> what a bunch uh, of great I must, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit I was kind of surprised to find out I was the first person I'd ever spoken to who had listened to podcasts uh, in their infancy before they were known as podcasts. So, yeah. uh yeah, I think yeah. Um, I think the word podcast really took off when uh, when Apple uh, started running with the concept. But uh, yeah, they helped uh, boost it, yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, so great. And uh, as as uh, you heard James saying there, that uh, not only did he uh, enjoy that uh, the trip on the Emirates A three eighty, of course, uh, you know, yet another A three eighty passenger. Not that we're jealous or anything, but uh, <laughs> we are. Um. <laughs> what I was going to say though is, um, you know, he was talking about getting four new podcasts on his network uh, every month, and I'm pretty sure they're doing that. In fact, they may even be oversubscribed at the moment. Wow. Uh, for doing that so uh, yeah. good on them great stuff really really good and uh, really in the community spirit which uh, really is what podcasting is all about so um, yeah thanks to James so uh, yeah we'll leave that one there for now and uh, Grant oh, it's late at night and it's still wet outside but oh, neither rain, hail, sleet, shine floods or very late hours will stop your postman Pat from bringing us the PCDU mail absolutely I think we're having all those sort of conditions right as we speak Grant it's pouring oh. rain outside uh, it's been over us it's uh, it's further west and closer to the bay than Steve is. And, uh, yes, it was raining earlier and now it's not. So don't worry, mate. There's clearing on the way. Awesome. Listener mail, listener mail. And uh, once again, Grant, since our last uh, couple of episodes, we've had a stack of listener mail. We, we uh, unfortunately haven't got time to read it all out now, but uh, we have taken a selection of a few. Uh, Grant, I'll kick this first one off. This one came in uh, back in January from uh, William Morelli over in Vermont in the United States. Uh, hi, guys. I'm a private pilot in uh, in Vermont. I have an experimental Zenith Zodiac mm, aircraft nice. that, uh, that I built, and he's flown it for 10 years. He's got uh, 770 hours on the aircraft, he says, and still loves flying it. He says, every time I take off again, a smile on my face. How can you beat that? Well, we absolutely <laughs> agree, mate. Absolutely agree. And it is, it, I'd smile too if I had one of those aircraft to fly. They're a lot of fun from looking at them and uh, hearing from others who have flown them. Uh, definitely wouldn't mind giving one of them a go. Yeah, and he says, I listen to around 10 different podcasts, but uh, all but Twit are aviation related. Uh, and he says, PCDU is the best of the lot. Well, Bill, we admire you on your good taste, Bill. Thanks very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't worry. There is help for that, mate. There are cures. <laughs> uh, cool. Thanks, mate. Thanks for letting us know you're out there. Really nice of you to take the time to uh, drop us a line. Bill, and we, we certainly hope you continue to enjoy our, our program. Of course, um, you know, when you, if he's comparing us to people like uh, Steve Tupper's Airspeed and Uncontrolled Airspace, well, uh, that's, that's in pretty good company, I'll tell you. Oh, yeah. Well, they're great podcasts. And in fact, they were the ones that I got started on. So, yeah, the pilot cast, Airspeed, and uh, then Uncontrolled Airspace. They were the first flying ones I got into. Awesome. Okay, Grant, you got one there? Yeah, mate. I've got a virtual postcard here. Uh, Paul Bridges, who apparently is a Melbourneian uh, pilot now living in the USA, flying over there. Uh, he sent us an email with a uh, photo attached. It's uh, a photo of a Qantas DC-3 from back in the days of flying around Malaysia, Papua New Guinea and Borneo. And it was taken with an old camera in Scandin. So, uh, yeah, lovely old photo. I'll make sure I put that up in the show notes. Very authentic and very Australian, actually. Um, be interesting to know, Paul, if you knew exactly, uh, if you could tell us exactly where that photo was taken. Uh, some of the peak people in uh, standing in the foreground and this picture uh, looked to be Aboriginals, uh, but um, you know could have easily been taken uh, anywhere in that in, you know in that region, northern Australia or uh, uh, Papua New Guinea Highlands, Papua New Guinea. Yeah, so uh, great photo. So thanks very much, Paul, for sending that in. And uh, you know, Paul is uh, another Australian success story when it comes to uh, to flying in the airlines. That's what it appears that he does. Um, a lot of Australian pilots find work overseas in the United States. Uh, so Paul, if you could uh, perhaps send us in, uh, we know uh, Paul's been participating on our Facebook page uh, quite a bit lately, which is great. Uh, fascinated by my brother's camera in fact that uh, he's going to have to take a Mack truck to haul along to Avalon (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're going to need your uh, new PCDU mobile which is a station wagon to be able to carry all that stuff just for your bro yeah but uh, Paul uh, if you'd like to come on and and, uh, perhaps uh, come on the show one day and tell us your story well uh, we always find these sorts of stories um, uh, you know good uh, positive reinforcement for our uh, rather large student pilot population that listens to the show so uh, we always like to hear stories from uh, people so uh, keep in touch mate and if you'd like to come on the show you're more than welcome Indeed. All right, and uh, just a third one quickly here. This one came in back in mid-January also from uh, Colin Sweetman. He says, boys, just caught up with episode 50. Outstanding as usually, especially as you had the pressure of doing it live. <laughs> Talk about pressure, I'll tell you what. We were sweating <laughs> doing that one, mate, I'll tell you. It wasn't just because we were all in a small room with the door closed. <laughs> he says here, thanks so much for all the long hours, dedication and hard work. Bloody excellent, he says here, and it shows in the consistently high production values. Uh, thanks very much, Colin. Uh, he says he's a POM. He's living over there in the UK, um, and uh, yeah, at the time, of course, when he sent this email, uh, the Queensland floods are in the news and uh, Colin was just passing along his sympathies to our friends up there in Queensland, so uh, we should put that in. We know we have a lot of listeners up there in Queensland. Uh, he also says here, Grant, that after a long layoff, he's just starting to uh, revalidate his PPL on a Cessna 172 SP. Nice. Excellent aircraft. And we'll go straight on to a sister ship uh, equipped with a uh, G1000 to train on glass. So, uh, oh, cool. Like, yeah, he's uh, getting into it seriously. Uh, the yeah. club he's flying at over there in the UK also has an extra 200 for doing some AOPA Aeros courses. So uh, he's sorely tempted already. Don't tell my wife. Okay. Uh, we certainly hope, uh, Cole, if your wife's listening to this podcast, just delete that last bit. Just turn the volume down, mate. We didn't say we didn't say a thing. No, no, no. We'll just sidetrack with me going, yes, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> Herobatics rocks. Yeah, he says, uh, belated Happy New Year, and if you ever get over here to the cradle of civilization, as he puts it, uh, let me know, and I'd be delighted to spend a couple of days taking you around to the RAF Museum at Duxford and the uh, Shuttleworth Collection. Well, I tell you what, if uh, I've never been to the UK, Colin, but uh, it's one of my life's ambitions. I really want to get over there, and I want to get over to see Europe and uh, tour around and see where my father was born and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we'll certainly take you up on that uh, should we ever get over there. Thanks for the offer, mate. Really appreciate it, and thanks for the email. You'll be getting a contact, and it'll be addressed to to a guide, Colin. That's exactly right. (laughs) 
Okay, we'll leave that there. As I said, Grant, uh, we, we did get a stack of email. We're getting a lot of interaction on the Facebook site too, so we uh, we really appreciate it. We, as we, we always say here, Grant, I bang on about it a lot. Uh, this show is not just about you and me. It's, it's about uh, the PCDU community, as we like to think of it. So uh, everybody get in there and uh, hit our forums at downwind.com.au and uh, don't just have to talk to us that way. You can talk to uh, other people that listen to the show as well and uh, really get in there and interact. Grant, uh, we want to uh, have a, a shout-out just before we sign off, and uh, that's to uh, all the people that, uh, speaking of Episode 50, uh, uh, went for the uh, 50 for 50 thing and sent us a $50 donation. Well, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, all three of you. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was great. Um, some of you do remember there was the joke going around back, oh, it was, must have been around episode 20, I think, uh, where it was uh, commented that, yeah, yeah, when you get to 50, we'll give you $50. Well, a couple of the people who made that, com- that uh, promise came through. So well done, guys. Absolutely. So uh, you know who you are, and we really do appreciate it. And I spent it all on pizza, Grant. I drank it. You had the pizza, I had the beer. Woohoo! Absolutely. No, no, no more pizzas for me, mate. I'm on a get fit kick at the moment. I've seen a few photos of myself lately on the PCDU archives and stuff, and uh, I've been hitting the gym lately. Time to lose about a kilo or, or 50. Oh, wow. That's serious, man. Which is why I'm sitting in this chair, because at the moment, I can't move. <laughs> You're supposed to go into it gently, gently. Yes, yes. Well, anyway, no, I've always been a pretty large fella, but uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Grant, spending the last 18 months here sitting in here doing increasing amounts of editing has uh, not been good for my waistline, I can tell you that. Yeah, but dude, you're still pumped from using the mouse. So anyway, <laughs> excellent. Well, we ought to leave it there, Grant. Now, we're getting ourselves ready for our series of Avalon Quickcasts. Uh, as we mentioned in the last episode, uh, we're going to be down there every day for the air show. We've got our media passes sorted, which is excellent. Yay! And uh, we, we're also uh, we're madly at the moment in the background uh, teeing up times with various people that we can talk to, and it's going to be a lot of work, but it's going to be a lot of fun too. Oh, yeah, we're going to be flat out. But, hey, we're going to be flat out, busy, and surrounded by aircraft. Now, Grant, speaking of Avalon... Uh, we're going down there and making the commitment to uh, bring you uh, some, some really great content. Uh, but it is going to cost us a little bit of money to do this, not the least of which is we're both going to have to take a week off work. Mm. So we are going to do that. Now, uh, for those of you who haven't seen our feed on our Facebook and everywhere else we've been plugging it, we are offering uh, some special advertising opportunities for those uh, quick cast episodes. Uh, you can hit our webpage to find out more details about that. We can offer you uh, advertising in single episodes or a discounted rate for all six. Uh, or for uh, a little bit more money, you can have naming rights uh, sponsorship uh, to to all the uh, the episodes that we produce and the money uh, that uh, we generate from uh, those ad sales is basically going towards uh, our uh, fuel costs uh, we're going to buy a bit of extra equipment uh, some corporate uh, logoed shirts so people know who we are uh, all that sort of stuff so uh, as usual this is uh, all aimed at just offsetting our costs it's not uh, about putting money in our pockets well not specifically anyway so hey, if uh, it does I'll be wrapped so if you're a uh, in any sort of business uh, aviation business uh, specifically but uh, any other business as well we're happy to endorse it and uh, you'd like to advertise it on a show just for this special time then uh, head to our website folks playingcrazydownunder.com and uh, have a look at the uh, big post on the front there saying advertising options with Team PCDU at the Avalon Air Show we'd love to have you on board yeah that'd be great mate we've uh, actually already sold a few ad slots and uh, in discussions with a few others for uh, additional content so uh, would be wonderful to have some additional advertisers to join us and uh, help offset the costs of uh, spending many many hours at Avalon and then many hours getting to and from and editing afterwards so I have a feeling I'm going to be going through a lot of energy drinks while I'm down there. Absolutely yeah yeah. we're not sure yet whether we're going to stay down that way uh, or whether we're going to commute each day of course uh, for those of you who are not familiar 
familiar with uh, where Avalon is uh, in Victoria. Well, uh, Melbourne basically sits at the top end of a large bay. Uh, Avalon is on one side, and Grant and I live way over on the other side. So <laughs> uh, it's, it's actually not that far to swim across if you look at it that way, unless somebody would like to supply us with a speedboat every day. But uh, in, in lieu of that, we're going to have to drive it most likely. And uh, with petrol about $1.40 a litre at the moment, well, uh, you know, mm. even though I've just bought a new car, well, it's going to put a lot of miles on it. It's going to cost a fair bit of money. So. <laughs> and that car goes... <laughs> Because yeah, it's, it's a, a thirsty one. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, big is beautiful, Grant. <laughs> Especially when it's carrying all our PCDU gear. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, just a bit of a shameless plug there, but, uh, you know, this is how we choose to fund our podcast. We'd rather do it the corporate way and get people to advertise their businesses rather than ask you, our listeners, to uh, stick your hands in, in your pockets and uh, send us money. Mind you, if you want to do that, you're more than welcome, but, but uh, well, yeah, yeah, we, we, we prefer to do it this way. It has been thanks to uh, the donations we've received that have let us buy a number of the pieces of equipment that we've used, and and uh, a little bit of the sponsorship money we've got from uh, work here in Australia and overseas was uh, the, that was the funds that helped send the whole team up to get all the content for the F111 episode, which is uh, getting a lot of really good reviews from people uh, in and out of the armed forces and in and out of our normal listener base. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's that kind of money that helps make it possible for us to travel around and uh, put some time into uh, capture all that content. Absolutely. And if we can pull this off as an experiment, well, uh, you know, we might just be able to uh, do the same thing for Oshkosh and who knows, we may even be able to make it there this year. I'd really, like, well, yeah, I'd really like to make it this year and we're really encouraged by all our friends in the podcasting community that are asking us to get over there. But, uh, you know, folks understand it's not a, not a short commute from where we live here in Melbourne. So uh, we'll see how we go. But uh, at the moment, we're probably more realistic realistically focusing on 2012 but uh, hey we'll see how it goes no we've got to try and get over there or we'll be shot I think is the correct answer hey we should just get it find a podcaster over there who's fabulously wealthy and get him to sponsor us have you got Steve Tupper's number oh what about what about Max Fly? oh Max he's, he's, he's got more money than he knows what to do with there you go fly a little our way <laughs> <laughs> Shameless hussies that we are. Anyway, enough of that uh, Enough of that uh, shameless plugging uh, for now. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks very much for listening, folks. We certainly hope you enjoyed it as always. We'll be back soon with our uh, Avalon Quickcast series that's coming up in the first week of March. But until then, just remember this. It's what's down under that counts, folks. You've been listening to Plain Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website www.playingcrazydownunder.com or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. Production and editing by Steve Vischer. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast. folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. 
This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. I have a large collection of goodies on DVD. Ah, yeah. Indeed, I just got the latest DVD out, which includes all sorts of goodies, including string, 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 string. Everybody loves string. Okay. And that was Grant McHeron. (laughs) You guys have to know that episode. Of what? The goodies. What are the goodies? Is that some Australian show? British. Uh, 70s, 80s. Ostensibly for kids, but seventies, seventies, strictly seventies. Have you guys been watching Flying Wild Alaska? No, I got one and a quarter episodes into Ice Pilots NWT and wanted to throw the TV out the window. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Oh, sorry, <laughs> that's supposed to be replaced by your sound effects rig. Is it not working at the moment? No, I haven't got it running. <laughs> no, you're supposed to say oh, it drowned. But anyhow, <laughs> it drowned. <laughs> The only sound effect I can get out of it now is... Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> hey, side note, we're going to need a, a photo and some bio, uh, um, some bio for the About Us page to add you to the list. Oh. Okie dokie. Can't we just make yep. something up? Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Send something, Dan. Send them. Well, you know, we'll just put a photo of a sheep flying an aircraft or something. <laughs> oh, God. Uh. That are already in their aircraft, like the two nine five, two nine six, that sort of uh, equipment. You know, that's that's that should. Sorry, if they, oh God, it's late. You're having you're having uh, a grand moment. Yeah, I know it's late. Um, and a lot. Uh, uh, what's the word? Provided? I don't know. Uh, a lot. Yes, oh, we know how much you love Julia. Yes, we we love Julia here. We've got we've got chickens in the backyard. They're both red. One is a bit darker than the other, and uh, and we call her Julia because she's in charge. And on a complete side note, I'd say that's Papua New Guinea Highlands. They look more like Highlanders than Australian Aboriginals. Oh, Highlanders, um, the they could be the only one. Choice. The more the listeners do, the less I have to do as well. Yes. Oh, even choice. more choice. <laughs> <laughs> Much more choice. Yes. <laughs> that's choice to the max. <laughs> look at bro. <laughs> oh, oh, no, we're choiced as, bro. Oh, dear. We're all choiced out, I think. It's midnight. Absolutely. <laughs> there you go. It's midnight over there. It's 10 p.m. over here. The joys of time zones. Okay, that's a cut. I shouldn't say okay. the shaky Oz. Is that New Zealand as often people say that? No, it's, it's true. Today, how many? There's about half a dozen earthquakes. Yeah. It's what's down under that counts, folks. Ah, there you go. Big radio voice, Grant. Oh, it's what's down under that counts, folks. <laughs> how bad was that? <laughs> well, it makes a good outtake. Bleep. <laughs>